Earlier in the week, we saw Jesus come to town. I was there. I was there. I was, we all took off our coats. It was absolutely amazing. We took off our coats. We waved palm branches. We, our voices just went hoarse from yelling and screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was like, it was like the craziest thing I've ever been a part of. We were so tired of the Roman occupation and we knew that God had promised us a king that would be above all kings, that would be above Caesar. And Jesus met so much of what we were looking for, so much of what we're looking for in the Messiah, in the promised one of God. This had to be the king of kings and we all knew it. The whole crowd knew it. The the one who was going to liberate us from this Roman tyranny once and for all. So when Jesus was on his way to town, everybody knew about it. Everybody. I I know like many of you guys have seen pictures of Palm Sunday with a couple of kids smiling and waving palm branches, but Jerusalem was packed. There was people all over the place, camping all over the place, come from all over Israel, and they they packed out that town. I don't know. Some I heard somebody say that there were close to a million people in town for this Passover celebration. This was our great holiday. It was crazy to see Jesus riding into a town on a donkey, and we all went nuts. We were going crazy. This has to be the king. This has to be the one. We'd even heard rumors that he'd raised one of his friends from the dead. From the dead. Can you believe this? No one had ever raised anybody from the dead, but we heard that Jesus told his friend Lazarus to come forth, to come out of the grave. And you know what? He did. He came out of the grave. We saw him with Jesus. He was right behind the donkey with Jesus. All of you guys know this is Palm Sunday, but I'll tell you what, this day was crazy. It was unbelievable. It was a crazy beginning to a crazy week. Our Savior, the promised King, was here. The celebration from Sunday was crazy, but things just continued on Monday too. Jesus, this new King Jesus was certainly changing some things. He was shifting the way that we did things. Jesus marched into the temple and he lost his mind. He was so angry. He started flipping tables and yelling at leaders. It was crazy. He was yelling at these guys who they would set up their booths and they would exchange money and they would sell stuff. And they'd been there for years making a a den of robbers out of this temple. And I loved it. I actually, I thought it was kind of funny because... I, I never really liked the fact that these guys did this. I always, they always kind of felt shady to me. They never felt super honest. But to flip their tables, to say this to their face, Jesus was a different kind of man. He was a bold man. There were lots of people there to see this. He was not beating around the bush. He was direct and bold. Jesus even told them that this is to be a place of prayer. To be fair, there were people praying there as well. There were people who would have liked to flip these tables for the years past, and so they cheered on Jesus. But when Jesus said that this is a house of prayer, something just deep in my soul resonated. 
I could feel the truth of this statement. I'd heard uh, some people say that God doesn't answer prayers anymore. That, that He simply isn't listening like He used to. So let's just come and perform this ceremony. But I can't believe this. It just seems like Jesus is an answer to so many of our prayers. Our, it's like our, our prayers are being answered through Jesus. After this, after he's done flipping the tables and telling everybody that this is a house of prayer, a whole bunch of people came up to him for healing. And you know what? He healed him. I saw a blind man. I'd seen him for years in Jerusalem as we'd come for the Passovers, who earlier in the day I knew he couldn't see, or at least he was out there begging. He was begging for money. And I saw him, his eyes open. And he had the ability to see and he, he walked away and made his way through the temple. There was also this woman that we passed by through the gate who couldn't walk. And when I saw her after she had talked to Jesus, she was jumping around. She was saying Hosanna. She was pointing to Jesus and said that he healed me. Jesus, the king, is bringing a new kind of kingdom. It seems like he elevated the lowly. He took those who were poor and destitute and lifted them up, while those who were usually revered, revered, those who were in power, didn't seem to like him very much. You could see their looks, their, their disapproval gaze at everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did. All day you could see the judgment and disapproval as they just sat back, and just watched Jesus. Some of these men, though, I respected. I knew them. Some of them I even trusted with the things of God. Why, why would they disapprove of Jesus? Weren't they out there yelling Hosanna too? We were all just crying Hosanna. And, and here, Jesus was driving out the money changers who were crooked anyway and calling this a house of prayer. All these things are good things. And he even healed people. Why would anyone disapprove of him? It was a bit unsettling, but I like this Jesus guy. Well, if we thought Sunday and Monday were crazy with the shouts of Hosanna and Jesus flipping tables, Tuesday was unbelievable. Jesus went after the scribes and the Pharisees. No one goes after these guys ever. Sure, they debate among themselves, but they're scholars. They're the educated ones. They're the most respectful and the most thoughtful ones. They, they know the, the Bible inside and out. No one argues with this, these guys because they know everything. But Jesus did. It was clear that the Pharisees wanted to make life for Jesus really hard. They wanted that day. They wanted Jesus to remember that day. They went after him right away. They were questioning him with all sorts of questions. Questions that um, seemed ridiculous and it seemed like they were trying to catch Jesus in a lie. Or at least to get him in trouble in front of people. At least to get him to stumble around and make some mistakes in the words that he said. Because so far, no one has anything against this Jesus guy. It didn't work though. The questions got harder and harder but Jesus' answers got better and better. They even asked Jesus about taxes in front of the Roman guards. 
No one talked about taxes in front of the Romans. We all hated that we had to pay them. We all hated that they were exacted from us. They were just taken from us by force oftentimes. But Jesus said something again that made my heart sing. Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Brilliant. Because everything belongs to God. Everything They tried to get Jesus arrested, but all he did was answer their questions with honesty and with brilliance. This went on and on. Jesus was so good at answering their questions that eventually they just stopped asking. They knew that Jesus' answers made their questions look silly once he answered them. I mean, when they asked, it was like, ooh, that's a good question. How is Jesus going to answer this? But when Jesus answered, it was like, duh, of course that's the answer. Of course this is the only answer that would work for these questions. But then, after the questions died down, Jesus went off. He went off. He called these leaders, these people that we all respected, he called them hypocrites. He called them blind guides. He made fun of the way that they tithe and the way that they give. He said to them, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy, dirty. He called them whitewashed tombs and said that these were the people who murdered the prophets and shed their blood. Jesus even called them snakes and a brood of vipers. Even their mom was a snake. Jesus said that these guys were not humbles, but they positioned themselves to be great and that they were leading the people who followed them straight to hell. That's what he said to these guys. That these guys that love to be called great teachers and given seats of honors, he also said that they honored the gold in the temple, but not the God of the temple. Man, all that Jesus said makes sense. I mean, I I get it. These guys always elevated their thoughts and their logic over anyone who had questions for them. They they were smug about the things of God. Even if someone had sincere questions, they would give answers to them, but not in humility, rather in a condescending tone. But still, a few of these guys I knew, and I respected their knowledge. These were good guys who took the things of God seriously, more seriously than the rest of us. They certainly had devoted, had a lifetime of devotion to study. And Jesus, after he scolded these men, he left them. He left them and they were mad because Jesus went after them. But Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he lamented it. And he predicted that Jerusalem would be destroyed. And that it would be rebuilt in three days. But then he also gave a bunch of teachings. Well, warnings really is what he was giving. He was telling us, don't be led astray. Don't follow these blind guides. Make sure that you're ready for the day of the Lord. Make sure that your heart is prepared. Make sure that your mind is prepared. Make sure that you do the best with what you've been given. God has given you gifts. Make sure you do what he wants with them. Man, Jesus is such a good teacher. I feel like I don't get all the things that he's trying to say, but I like listening to him. I feel like if I just keep listening to him, the more I listen to him, the more I'll get it. I'm not sure I'll have 
all the answers like, like some of the scribes and Pharisees seem to have. But I still think that Jesus might be the Messiah. I still believe in the hosannas that I offered him on Palm Sunday. As his teaching went on, seems like somewhere in there is a little confusing to me. But Jesus was predicting that he would die. It's like he knew that something was going down. Like we had our king, but he knew something different. He was on a, a different level. But I swear in the midst of that, there was a reference to his death. Didn't get it at the time, but now looking back, it makes sense. Well, on Wednesday, honestly, the last few days were so crazy on Wednesday. No one was really sure what Jesus was doing. We didn't see him walking around in the crowds like we had the other two days. We didn't hear from him. His disciples weren't there. I mean, I, I, if I had my guess, I bet he was resting. I mean, Tuesday was crazy. But I, I didn't hear another rumor. I did hear another rumor where the where the leaders were trying to find a way to kill Jesus. They even asked a friend of mine to be a witness against Jesus. They told him what they wanted to, him to say, but he couldn't do it. I mean, they were trying to get people to say things in such a way that made it look like Jesus was worthy of death, but I, I just couldn't figure that out. I mean, I get it. These guys were mad, but this was not looking good for Jesus. Many of us that heard what, what these teachers were saying, we're starting to become a, a little bit confused in our spirits. It didn't make sense. We knew these guys cared, like majorly cared, like devoted their whole lives to the thing of God cared about, about God and about his ways. I mean, they knew the Bible inside and out. They had to be right, didn't they? They had to be right. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. And I've known a lot of carpenters in my day and they're not always the sharpest tools in the shed. But then again, I'm, I'm not either. But I just want my faith in God to be strong. I don't want to place my faith in Jesus if he's not God. I want to be right in the place or maybe in this circumstance, the person that I'm supposed to place my faith in. The next day, Jesus came to town smelling amazing. Rumor had it that some prostitute who he had forgiven came in and broke an expensive bottle of perfume over him and anointed him with it. She also, as the rumor goes, washed his feet with her tears and her hair. As if this week hasn't been crazy enough. But they say those who sin much are forgiven much by Jesus. And I guess she knows grace better than most people who think that they've done nothing wrong. I saw Jesus briefly and I smelled him as he walked by. But most of the day I've, I've heard that I've heard about that day since it's happened. I didn't hear it in the day. I wasn't there to witness it. Those that were there were telling these unbelievable stories of Jesus on this Thursday. I'll try to share a couple of them, but then again, I wasn't there. 
While all this was going on, I was hanging out into town. I was listening to the teachers of the law and trying to figure out what I really thought about this Jesus guy. I was trying to figure out if I wanted to follow him or not. I don't want to be made a fool of. I don't want people to call me a fool or, or to think that I'm just naive for following this Jesus. There's certainly something about him that I, I want to follow him. There was something that was like, it was like pulling me towards him. And all I needed to do was answer. But I wasn't fully there yet. Anyway, here are some of the stories that I heard. During the Passover dinner, Jesus got down and washed his disciples' feet. This dinner is a big deal. It's important. I mean, in this city, Jesus was important down the, during this time as well. It was celebrated. This, this Passover celebrated the fact that God rescued his people from slavery. We celebrate it every year so we won't forget that God purchased us from slavery. That God can and does save us. That it wasn't just a one-time thing that he still can save us. So during this important meal, Jesus did the job of a servant. And if the family had a slave, it was the job of a slave. He got a bottle of a basin of water. He got a towel and tied it around his waist. He began to wash the feet of his friends. One of his friends says, no, Jesus, don't do that. But Jesus said, this is what he needs to do. He needs to be served by Jesus. This shows us that what Jesus is willing to go to, he's willing to become like a slave, like a servant to, to serve us. He is so much different than the religious leaders who would never bow down and wash our feet. Wish I would have known this before the next couple days unfolded. I wish I would have known all the ways that Jesus was humble. I wish I would have known all the ways that Jesus would serve us and that Jesus would save us. I, I would have stopped him and asked him to wash me too. After the dinner, and during this dinner, it was weird. One of his friends just abruptly got up and he left. But after the dinner, they went to the garden where I guess Jesus went often to pray. I've never been there. He went to pray and he asked his friends, will you please pray with me? But they fell asleep. And he asked again, hey, would you please pray with me? But they couldn't hang with Jesus. Something was going on with him. He was wrestling with some things and he wanted his friends to pray with him. It was reported that he was praying so hard that he sweat blood. Given that the next coming days and the fact that Jesus already predicted his death, it's not surprising. I would probably sweat blood too, worrying about it. One of Jesus' friends recorded this prayer for us. Jesus prays for himself, but mostly, just like the washing of our feet, Mostly, he prays for his followers. He prays that they, they might be unified, that they might love one another, that they might follow God as Jesus followed God. It's just another example of how Jesus, even in his most dire time of, of distress, prays selflessly for us. When Jesus gets up from praying, he walks out of the garden and he walks across the brook Kidron and into a waiting mob. It was like Jesus knew when it was time to end his prayer to get up and he went out to meet them. Jesus went to these people. 
He was betrayed by, by a kiss from a friend, the friend who had abruptly left dinner. We know now that he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's not that much money. I didn't even get money, though, when I betrayed Jesus. I remember this story from when I was a kid. Uh, King David, who was one of the old kings of Israel, when his son was attacking and trying to take David's kingdom, David ran away out of town instead of fighting his son, instead of facing his accusers. He ran out of the town and he went over the brook Kidron, leaving town. And I just know that when Jesus went to his betrayers, he went the opposite way of David to meet his betrayers. Jesus is better, and he's a braver king than David ever was. Then Jesus, after he was taken by the mob, he endured trials. It looked like they found some people who were willing to lie about Jesus, and Jesus was put on trial, and he was beat by the priest guard. I've always wondered, why didn't they try to get Jesus during the day? Why was it that they were convenient, convening at such a late hour? But there they were, meeting late at night, beating Jesus and testifying falsely against him. Jesus had made them so mad that they wanted to kill him. They didn't just want him arrested. They didn't want to just beat him up. They wanted their power back and their authority back. And they needed to get rid of Jesus and get him out of the way. Jesus, they could tell Jesus was gaining popularity and momentum that they couldn't stop. Even the chief priest, even he said that it was better for one man to die to save many. I wonder if he knew what he was saying. In retrospect, he couldn't have been more correct. But these guys couldn't kill Jesus without getting in trouble from the Romans, and they knew that very well. So they took him to Pilate with their trumped-up charges. They begged Pilate to release him. Pilate didn't want anything to do with Jesus' death, but the leaders were a persistent bunch. He was said to have washed his hands of the death of Jesus, but the leaders begged for Jesus' blood to be on them and their generations to come. Pilate had Jesus properly beaten in the Roman fashion. He was a bloody mess when I first saw him the next morning. He had a crown of thorns on his head. He had a purple robe on. They were obviously mocking Jesus. The Romans were known for their cruel mockery. Jesus was almost unrecognizable after they beat him up. He was really bloody. I mean, he looked messed up. His face still haunts me to this day. Is this what love looks like? Is this the man who I called out just a few days earlier? Hosanna, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Did I really want this man's plans to succeed? What more could one man endure? While all that was going on, while Jesus was on trial, all that I later heard from my friends, I was having a fitful night's sleep. I was seriously contemplating Jesus. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had me close to renouncing my hosannas. He seemed like the truth, but I, honestly, I just didn't know. I had too many questions that hadn't been answered. I had these people who cared about the Bible, people I've known all my life, telling me otherwise, that maybe I shouldn't believe in them. 
As I rolled into town, that time when I actually saw Jesus, I followed the mob. They were going to see Pontius Pilate. And for those who don't know who Pilate is, he was a Roman official. I didn't like the guy, but he was powerful. And he had all of Rome backing him. If something would have happened, he could have brought in soldiers and done away with us all. When I got there, they had Jesus up on the step of Pilate's building. Pilate was asking the crowd if we wanted him to release Jesus or Barabbas. Now, everyone knew Barabbas was a shady dude who constantly was calling for violence. He was constantly calling for violence. We knew that if Barabbas was free and Barabbas got his way, that Pilate would call in his army and attack us. When he asked who we wanted to release, a bunch of leaders started chanting, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. I didn't understand. Then I looked over and I saw the Pharisee that I knew best, the one from my hometown. He looked at me and he nodded as he was chanting. And he was asking me to chant for Barabbas. And you know what I did? I chanted for Barabbas. It felt like, in that moment, it felt like the right thing. Give us Barabbas. Free Barabbas. There I was. I was confused. When Pilate asked the crowd, what should be done with Jesus? Started in a low murmur. But it built and it built and they were chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It worked itself into a fevered pitch and the whole crowd, me included, I was yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I don't like to say it now. I'd like to think I didn't believe the words. But the holy men who I knew in my life were telling me that this Jesus guy was a false god. He was not the Messiah. And in that moment, I believed them. Later in life, I wish I would have kept my mouth shut. This was my biggest regret, not believing in Jesus. I followed the crowd over Jesus. I followed the crowd and these religious leaders over what I knew my heart was telling me was right about Jesus. You know what they did after this chant? They took him. They beat him some more. They made him carry his own cross up to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull where they crucified people. And they crucified him. They put him beside two criminals. And they crucified Jesus like a common criminal. I crucified Jesus. I put him on that cross. It was actually my words, my actions, my chance of crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. This is my regret. Pilate had a plaque nailed to the cross that read of this crime that he was put to death for. It said, King of the Jews. Jesus' blood that was on the cross actually looked like the blood of lamb that we painted over our doors, that we did every Passover. Truly, this Jesus must be the Lamb of God. 
I was actually at the cross, watched Jesus breathe his last breath. I watched him die in agony. I had the idea that this had something to do with me. I didn't know what I could do to shake that feeling. This had something to do with me. I actually saw them pierce his side with a spear. I saw them gamble for his clothes. I saw the blood mixed with water pour from his side. I heard him as he was speaking. Today you will be with me in paradise, he says to one of the criminals that was with him. And I heard him when in a loud voice, I will never forget this. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I knew that as I heard that, I had forsaken Jesus too. And in forsaking Jesus, I had forsaken God. I also heard him say to the people who were killing him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I longed for this forgiveness. I longed to know that Jesus forgave me like he forgave these that were around the cross, nailing his hands to it, nailing his feet to it, gambling for his clothes, piercing his side. I had cried crucified. Crucify him. Would Jesus forgive me too? Think about this day often. I think and I mourn the death of Jesus. The cross from that moment on has never been far from me. And I pray that it may always be that way. I pray that I will remember it often And I will remember the cross forever.